Hello and welcome to this week's Tech Shock from Parent Zone, the podcast that looks at the impact of digital technologies on family life and unpicks the issues for parents, teachers, professionals and policymakers. I'm Vicky Shotbolt and I'm the founder and CEO of Parent Zone. And I'm Geraldine Bedell. I'm the executive editor of Parent Zone. This week we're looking at parental guilt. One of the things we hear all the time from parents is how guilty they feel about their children's online lives. We certainly do. And one of the biggest concerns is around screen time. Although there are lots of things that add to that sense of guilt, the guilt-inducing idea that bad parents use tech as a babysitter or that parents let children spend too much time in front of their screens. So we thought we'd try to ease some of that guilt with some facts, prompted by some recent research from the Oxford Internet Institute that suggested that playing online games was actually good for your mental health. So a long way from that popular view that online games are mind-numbing or they make children more aggressive or they're addictive. I suppose we should declare an interest here. We did some research with the Oxford Internet Institute with Andy Shabilsky, who has produced this research a few years ago, and that was about monitoring and controlling your children online. What we found was that too much monitoring and control was not helpful And not only that, it actually resulted in children being less safe online because they never got the opportunity to develop online resilience. So as ever with prohibition, barring can often have the opposite effect. And Andy Shabilsky's position when we did that research, and I think it's one that we broadly share, is that it all depends what you're doing when you are online. I think what's interesting about this latest research is that it's not about educational activities online. What people were doing was not the sort of thing that parents would necessarily think of as useful or productive. The researchers looked at a couple of games, Animal Crossing, New Horizons, and Plants vs. Zombies, Battle for Naperville, neither of which I can see myself playing anytime soon. Um, But they found that there was an improvement in mental health amongst players. When you think about it, that's probably not so surprising because play makes us feel good and these are games and by definition they're playful. And I think sometimes we distrust play when it comes to new technologies. That's always been the case, I think. Novels, which we now think of as improving, uh, were once thought of as being damaging. And Jane Austen joked a lot about how novels made young women frivolous. And Louisa May Alcott, who's the author of Little Women, had another heroine about whom she wrote, she is too fond of books and it has turned her brain. (laughs) And they were both joking, but it was evidently a familiar enough idea for the jokes to work. And that's been, I think, repeated time and time again with new technologies. And um, someone called Conrad Gessner wrote a book about how the modern world was overwhelming people with information. And this was confusing and harmful. And he was actually writing in 1565 and he was talking about the printing press. And and when the wireless was invented, there were complaints that radio would distract children from their studies. And when television came on the scene, people worried that it would disrupt family life. So over and over again, I think there's a tendency to think of t- new technologies as potentially damaging the fra- fabric of society. And I think with online technologies, there's also a tendency to think of what happens offline as kind of idyllic. As if once children go offline, they're all gambling about in fields or doing crafting. 
which, you know, certainly in my experience with my own children was de- very definitely not the case. No, I think that's absolutely right. That that idea that as long as it's not in front of a screen, it's somehow wholesome and, and good for you. And this assumption that a child in front of a screen is somehow being neglected and that parents are somehow being feckless. And it's actually ridiculously easy to forget how important play really is and overlook the fact that play can happen online. So sometimes when parents think about play, they take the attitude that it's got to be improving, that it's got to be good for our children. Um, But actually play is good for them. Developmentally, it's vital. And there's this paradox because as soon as you take an instrumental approach to play, it's not play anymore. Play's got to be something that we do just for its own sake. It has to be open-ended and imaginative and not directed towards any purpose. It doesn't have to be educational. Yes, that's right. It's all about flow, that I think very helpful concept, Um, that state of being when you're so completely absorbed that you lose all sense of time and all sense of yourself. And I think the problem underlying all of this really is that parenting is too often seen these days as a project rather than something that you simply do. I remember reading a few years ago a book which influenced me a lot by a woman called Julie Lithcott-Hames, who is the former dean of freshmen at Stanford and who was raising her own children in that hothouse that is Palo Alto. And she compared the kind of childhood that I think our generation remembers of sort of benign neglect, where you were sent out to play and told to come back at tea time, with the rather fearful parenting that I think we see now a lot, where parents feel anxious that their children won't be successful enough in the world and that somehow that will be our fault as parents. And I think the result of all that is that children are no longer allowed to waste any time. They have to be productive all the time. Julie Lithcott-Hames' conclusion was that as a result, children don't develop any resilience. And she described how her students, who are, after all, at Stanford, the most successful students in the United States, probably, were panicked when they didn't have their parents there to look over their assignments before they handed them in. Um, So her advice was just to chill a bit more, which I suppose was where we got to with our research with the Oxford Internet Institute, that too much worry is really counterproductive. Absolutely. I think, you know, that message that we repeated again and again and again and again, just, you know, you can relax a little bit more, you can chill a little bit more. Because being a parent is about an identity. It is not a profession. And if you start to apply professional standards or tackle it like a job, then you really are setting yourself up to fail because it, it's just not feasible to approach parenting as you do a job with a busy list and a set of key performance indicators and an annual review. Parenting is about the relationship that you build with your child and, and creating an environment around them that nurtures them as they grow up. And all you have to do is be good enough, provide that benign neglect, Um because children are amazingly forgiving and amazingly resilient. But at the moment, it feels like we are asking parents to take on this quasi-professional role to what children are doing online. And actually, research shows that the majority of people believe that parents should be taking the lead in ensuring that their children are safe online. So in a previous podcast, we talked to Alan Judson, I don't know if you remember that one, about the research that she'd done for Demos, 
which showed that 86% of people thought parents bore the most responsibility for keeping their child safe online. A lower number thought that the platform operators and service providers, social media companies and so on, were responsible. Yes, I do. And that's really interesting because the figure was a bit lower for parents themselves. So for parents, it was actually only 83% who thought that parents had the kind of greatest responsibility. And I think that perhaps that reflects the feeling that parents have that, yes, they should be responsible, but it's actually very difficult in practice. Yeah, I I mean, that's still an astonishingly high percentage, isn't it? And I kind of get a feeling that parents have sort of accepted that they've been abandoned with this responsibility. And I liken it to town planning, which you may have to stick with me here, (laughs) Jardine, on this one. But for me, it's a bit like a parent who moves into an area and finds that the roads are really busy and there aren't any safe playgrounds. And of course, in that situation, a parent copes. They set rules to compensate for the environment. But it's very hard and parents on their own can't fix those things. In the case of a town, it requires better architects and better town planners. And I think people talk a lot about online safety just being like teaching your child to cross the road. It's an analogy that we hear all of the time. And it's it's true. There is some of that. There are much more fundamental challenges that also need to be addressed, just like fundamental challenges with the built environment, there are fundamental challenges with the digital environment. Yes, I completely agree. And that crossing the road analogy, which we do hear all the time, is not a terribly helpful analogy because the problem is that the context online is always shifting. So I think the basic principles still work. In other words, it's you can teach your child the values that you think are important, but still in the immediate context, they may not be that easy to apply. So um, to take your town planning analogy, um, perhaps to breaking point, um, the environment might just be too overwhelmingly busy and there might not be a suitable playground. And so even though your child you know, has absorbed your the values that you think are important, they may not actually be able to see how to play happily, even so, because things are conspiring against them. Absolutely. And if parents are responsible, and, you know, let's be fair, parents do take responsibility for their own children. Of course they do. They take that responsibility on the moment they take their newborn baby home. But the fact is, with online challenges, parents have very few levers to pull. And and what they really need are digital environments that support those parenting decisions. Notifications when their child is signing up for platforms or linked accounts so that parents can step in when their children have a problem or explanations of the functionality in platforms so that they can make informed decisions. And, you know, just, just to be really clear, what they don't need is to be nudged into using tools that encourage inappropriate levels of monitoring Because what that does is undermine the trust and trust is really central to a good parent-child relationship. Well, it's pretty fundamental to any relationship. Yes, it is. It is. And it doesn't help to say parents are overwhelmed by tech. So here, have some more tech. Um, I think what parents want is the freedom and the clarity to be parents. And I'd say that not only do they need to know about 
functionality, but they need to know what the functionality means. So in a previous podcast, we talked about OnlyFans. And I think if you were notified that your child had signed up to OnlyFans and that that had the functionality of in-stream payments, you wouldn't necessarily know unless you were pretty well informed that that meant that creators were charging their followers to see them without their clothes on. So I think the information has to be understandable. The other problem that parents face is that they are really busy. And in fact, there is a view, which I tend to subscribe to, that guilt has risen in line with how busy parents are. And I think there are lots of families where parents are working multiple jobs in the gig economy. It's not possible to control your working hours very easily, Um, although that was always the promise in practice, you know. You have to work very long hours and professionals, meanwhile, are working very long hours in a kind of always on economy. And so it's probably not surprising that parents feel that they're not doing enough and that they're not present enough. And a lot of this focuses on the Internet because it's such new terrain. And as a result, it's so worrying. Absolutely. And I think it's something that's that really is worth reflecting on as we're in lockdown version two, uh, which has seen such a transformation for the relationship between us all and technology. We've all been relying on it so much that that feeling that you want to manage it well on behalf of your children has has just gone up a gear, I would say, at the same time as you needing to manage it well and use it in order to carry on working working those really demanding hours and those those demanding jobs. And I think it used to be the case, I mean, it, it's still the case, that we think of responsibility going hand in hand with, with rights of some sort or another. But that's not really the case here because parents are being asked to take on responsibilities online. But in this country, we don't actually have a, a framework of parental rights as such. If you compare the situation in some states in the US where parents have all sorts of rights, including, for example, the right to choose their child's religion, we don't have parental rights in that form. So in the UK, children have the right to access, and, and that means access to both parents. And if you look at parents' rights, they're all about parents having the right to care for the welfare of their child and the responsibility to provide food, clothes and shelter. So a really top level description of those rights and responsibilities that parents carry. And the courts will always put the needs and the rights of the child first, which is why famously in this country we have the Gillick Principle. And that was set as a result of a court case where a mother, Victoria Gillick, went to court as a result of guidance that had been issued by the government in 1980 that said that minors could give their own consent for contraceptive advice. And Gillick, mother of 10, by the way, went to court and lost. And as a result, the Gillick competence was established, which meant that if a doctor made an assessment that someone under the age of 16 understood the advice they were being given and they were mature enough to give consent, then they were allowed to do so. And a parent couldn't step in and veto their decision. And although we're a parenting organisation, we think that's fine, right? Oh, 100%. Absolutely. In the UK, we start from what's in a child's best interests. And we think that's absolutely as it should be. 
And in most cases, that will dovetail with what parents want. Of course, there are going to be exceptions. So, for example, that it's right to deny children the right to sex education because of religious or any other beliefs that parents may hold. And at the moment, parents are able to remove children from sex education. At Parents Own, we think we're broadly in the right place as regards the rights of parents and children. But the irony is that at the moment, we've got efforts to make parents take more responsibility for what happens online And that threatens to undermine that really fundamental principle. Safety tech, some safety tech, is trying to give parents more control, more rights over what their child can do. And that's welcomed by many people on that exact basis. But you have to say to yourself, is that actually in the best interests of the child? For example, geolocation. Is it really appropriate that children should be tracked? Or age gating? which lots of parents say they want, but it could potentially stop children having access to health advice or even mixing with people that their parents decide they shouldn't be mixing with. So, yeah, it's a very complicated situation. And actually, even when you focus simply on children's rights, it's also a very complicated situation. So the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child recognised earlier this year that children's rights also apply to the digital world. And the convention recognises the right of children to access information from what they call a diversity of sources and their freedom to express their thoughts and opinions. But at the same time, the convention calls on states to develop guidelines that protect children from material that may be harmful to their well-being. So those rights are potentially in conflict with one another. You've got freedom on the one hand and then safety on the other. So the question then becomes, how are those rights balanced against each other? And that's a judgment call that will be different in every situation, probably. Absolutely. And I think most parents would agree that both of those ambitions are valid. We want children to be able to explore and express themselves. But of course, we also want them to be safe. And at the moment, it's parents who are being asked to police that, to determine where that balance sits. So it's kind of no wonder that we feel guilty because it's not something that it's easy for an individual to get right. Yeah, and it's at the heart of what legislators all over the world are grappling with at the moment, who takes responsibility. And it seems clear that it's very unfair to parents that they should bear the brunt of it. It also can't possibly work. Parents, as you say, can't shoulder all the load which is why there are increasing moves, obviously, to get platforms to take more responsibility themselves. Absolutely. And that brings us back to this question, which we're always circling around one way or another, of whether platforms should be seen as publishers or simply as conduits, as neutral channels for the sharing of information. But in fact, I think this is a slightly misleading question because there's clearly a third thing, um, which is that they're not neutral because the way they're designed determines what happens on them. So parents are encouraged to share images of their children, for example. We did some research a couple of years ago on sharenting and found that around 3% of respondents were hoping to monetize their children. Now, a series of decisions have been made that has allowed that situation to emerge that's meant that children can be turned into commodities. And those decisions weren't initially made by parents. They were design decisions that encourage and incentivize parents to turn their children into internet celebrities for money, which is a much more complex relationship than publishing or simply being a neutral channel. 
And of course, there have been decisions by policymakers to choose not to enforce existing laws on, for example, in this case, child performances. Exactly. And sharing pictures of your children might seem like a lovely idea. But if children can't give informed consent, there's a big question over whether it is actually ethical to do it or at what age it stops being ethical to do it. But in a world in which everyone else is doing it and platforms actually encourage you to do it, not sharing can sort of seem standoffish or even strange. That leads us to a point where platform design is not only creating incentives to behave in certain kinds of ways, but then it's also creating social pressure to do that. And the argument, I think, that's behind the age-appropriate design code is that design shouldn't create these incentives to to behave in ways that may not be in children's best interests. Whether in practice that would extend to sharenting, I don't really know. I think that's a whole other matter. I agree. I think I think it is, um, and I think it's a it's a matter that that needs looking at more closely. But where are we now? Where does this all leave us, Geraldine? I think we can agree, Vicky, that um, parents feel guilty. Yes, and uh, I also think that we probably agree that they should give themselves a break, um, and actually, they really should give themselves a break because. Aside from making you miserable, it can also make your children miserable. There are some researchers at the University of Vermont that found that children internalised parental guilt. In other words, children blame themselves for making their parents worry. So that's not great for children either. So it's all round. All this guilt is just bad news for everybody. Bad news. And the trouble is that parents are being asked to do a really impossible amount that to regulate online spaces that aren't always very friendly to them and that work in mysterious ways that they don't really fully understand. Absolutely. And, you know, of course, parents are vital to their children's online lives, although let's, let's get real about this. It's real life. It is just life, whether it's happening online or offline. Um, but Parents can't be expected to take responsibility for everything. And actually, overreacting is at least as unhelpful as doing nothing. So we know, and we've known for many, many years, that authoritative parenting is the place that we should all be pretty much aiming for. But it can be so difficult to get the balance right online. Yeah, it does feel, though, that we're at a really big moment with lots of legislation being talked about And the UK government in particular has said that it wants to make Britain the best place to be online. But I wonder whether the government has really thought through how it's going to support parents to do that, because I think being the best place to be online is going to have to mean supporting parents to do the job they want to do in order to help their children have happy and carefree and stimulating online lives. I'm yeah, I'm really not sure that government has thought through how they're actually going to support parents with all of this. I think they they keep reverting back to talking about safety tech and talking about children and forgetting that actually they there's a big job to be done to support parents and and the fact is that no one cares about getting this right more than parents do. But if we don't stop piling on the guilt If we think that parents can be left to figure all of this out without some help, I'm afraid that we might be heading for a little bit of a dog's dinner. 
Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. And what we don't want are blunt-edged and thoughtless tech solutions that encourage more monitoring in the name of parenting when that isn't the relationship that parents want or indeed, as you said, should have with their children at all. I think that's a, a very good note to leave today's discussion on. I'm Vicky Shotbolt. And I'm Geraldine Padel. Listen to Tech Shock from Parent Zone every week on a Monday, wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to sign up, download, and please do give us a five-star rating so that other people can be helped to find us. Mm-hmm.